All right, guys, it's Friday afternoon. I am not broadcasting from my desk. I don't have my streamer approved recess lighting spags. I'm broadcasting live from my in-laws house for the 4th of July, but we are doing splash play because that's what we do here. Yeah, Pete is sacrificing here, even though uh, I guess you said you're your family in-laws room there does definitely resemble a porn set. I just have to say it right now from the jump, but we are going to talk about playmakers. We're going to talk about a fun PFF ranking of the worst five rosters in football. So we are going to make it happen on this 4th of July weekend. So Pete hit the intro. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Splash Play, where I actually haven't done a show in a week for the first time in a very long wow. time. So I feel like talking out loud, even though I do talk in my normal life, it's just it's a different skill set doing a show. But I am Chris Spaggs, joined once again by Road Dog Pete Overset. <laughs> How is the travel? And are you suffering from, I guess, this uh, New England weekend that wait, what the fuck just happened there? <laughs> what well, happened to your camera? Oh, okay. There, I guess I'm back. Um, that was You're strange. Uh, good start here. This, I guess that's what happens when the computer gets a week off too. But um, how's it going, Pete? And I guess, are you trapped inside with, with shitty weather? Yeah, it's really shitty. Uh, my my father-in-law did ask me if I wanted to go for a swim. And I said, no, I need to talk about Playmakers episode eight <laughs> on the internet right now. I mean, look, that's an important thing to do. Obviously, you're providing a service on this 18-year-old show. And um, I think the first thing you guys should do to, to reward us for doing the show in adverse conditions all around is you should hit that like button on Peach channel, on the Splash Play channel. And of course, subscribe to both of them on the Splash Play channel. You can also find the archive of all the episodes we've been doing around Playmaker. So if you want to play along, watch from the start. Even if you don't want to watch any of the episodes, the recap should be fun. So go check them out. And also make sure to follow at Splash Play Pod. We are following everybody back on Twitter and Instagram. So if you just want a free follower or you want to support the content, there's two ways for you guys to get uh, into the mix there. So go check out at Splash Play Pod and follow us. And Pete, I'll ask you here, was there any NFL news you saw this week overall? Because normally things do slow down a little bit. People taking some time off um, as the, the slow season starts before things do start to get really busy. Is there anything you saw at all this week? Because I feel like even in the NFL, which you know does have things pop up from time to time, the only thing that actually popped in my feed this week was like the 49ers nude outfits that they have and Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> looking handsome. And that was basically all I saw. Yeah, I mean, I've been writing up, you know, some of the blurbs uh, for the newsletter. Most of them feel somewhat inconsequential. Today, I wrote one up about Ezekiel Elliott, and they are doing the most cliche term we hear in the offseason, which is Zeke is in the best shape of his life. Um, and again, you have to take it with a grain of salt because it's his like personal friend slash running backs coach. I like went to look up this guy. Uh, it's Josh Hicks. And I because I wrote Cowboys running back coach and it's like technically Zeke's personal running back coach and so he says Zeke is in the best shape of his life so those are the kind of blurbs we're working with right now is just very flattering reports from people on your payroll I, I appreciate that. That's like being Kevin Durant's bodyguard. He's getting in the mix, getting some shine for him. But yeah, Zeke, uh, I think, was in great shape last year, too. I think he's generally a guy that I'm going to say is normally in good shape. But I would agree. That's that's sort of the best headlines we're going to get and probably going to be a slow season, I think, heading into uh, the middle of this month. So we'll certainly pay attention for news. Pete will do the best he can to create news uh, for the Fantasy <laughs> Life newsletter, but uh, not a lot out there. So that's where we're going to se segue over here to so this tweet, the worst rosters in the NFL that came out from PFF. And um, we were talking about 
about PFF a little bit in there. Pete, I don't know if you want to if you want to say anything necessarily, but um, I think it's interesting to note they are definitely going harder after the social crowd, doing some a like number numerology kind of things or those kind of posts that we all know. You see the graphic design where if you hit a like, the one to add today that I mentioned Pete before the show is if you hit a like, the number of likes that you get uh, when you actually are hitting the like button would then correlate to a running back, and then you had to be like, oh, this running back is my fourth and one running back. It's really I wouldn't say low hanging fruit, Pete, but uh, some interesting content coming out of them so far this summer. Is that like the 20? Did you, you remember back in like elementary school? What were they called? Like the oh, the cube things that you like, yeah, they were the cutie catchers. Yeah, and it was like cutie catch. I did not know that phrase. No, what were they called? It was something dream catchers or something. Dream catchers are the things that you put above your bed in the hopes to catch a dream. Uh, what were those called? Where it's like cootie catcher. Okay, all right, yeah, cootie catcher. It seems, yeah, it seems like it's that. But for social media now, uh, yes, I guess it's kind of fun. I, I just think that the pro football Twitter account now has gone just such blatant extreme clickbait where like they have their guys put out their rankings and they're like, why don't we just flip like three and 23 and just see if anyone uh, freaks out and then people freak out. It's like, did you see the guy who just published the article about how grilling is overrated and that you should actually be cooking inside? I mean, I think I the point was sound because there were some guys who were replying in there and I think distilling it better that like, and, and to be clear, I like grilling. I think grilling though is more about the social aspect of grilling and and I'm sure there's some, uh, you know, male psychology drilled into that as well from our, our culture here in America. This is me doing my presidential uh, speech on on grilling and all that. But uh, he was mentioning that like, you know, if you put a cast iron pan on a grill, like that's also going to get better results. And I think that's correct. But it does, you know, there's been like Twitter things about it too, about grilling being toxic masculinity. And you got to fill those content months pete i'm sure you know that as well as anybody now that you're you're full-time employed by yourself but um yeah the grilling one i i get the science behind it i'm sure uh, jake henji alt whatever that guy's name would not approve of grilling as the best way to cook but yeah you just got to enjoy the outside that's one way to do it no but i just mean like when you reverse engineer these articles it's like they pay a freelancer to say something just completely absurd to get people to hate click things and uh i don't know pff is kind of entering that territory there and uh, i respect it it is very good for engagement well i mean they have been a, a favorite side of mine for years i actually had convinced osmo to get the media package for them the last couple seasons so you could like reference their data and i guess not in a way that would be uh legal or whatever and then there's some discounts too if you are a website out there for whatever reason you're watching splash play you're curious the media package for pff is a good deal because you get all your guys to use their data and integrate it and then reference it on the shows and all that so i like them a lot but i think maybe it's the kind of thing where you have so much credibility and also they're building the media side and they have guys who are getting you know pretty noteworthy there that it's just like well fuck it we can do anything at this point you might as well try to be the the football buzzfeed and i'm not gonna begrudge it even though it does it does stand out a little bit like a sore thumb yeah uh, so what remind me i don't even i did see that silva had replied to, mm -hmm. to the tweet what was the most objectionable take on there so it wasn't anything that bad, but basically they did this list of worst rosters in the NFL. Uh, number 32, Houston Texans. Number 31, Detroit Lions. Number 30, New York Jets. Number 29, Philadelphia Eagles. That's the one I disagree with. Number 28, Jacksonville Jaguars. Silva said the Raiders had to be in the top three. And I, I don't know, or the, you know, the bottom three, rather. I think that was the objection he had. But I feel like, Pete, you give me the Texans, the Lions, and the Jets. I think the Jets may be a little bit. Uh, a little bit underappreciated. I probably like them more than some people out there. The Eagles are the one that stand out to me, though, where they shouldn't be there. And I think the Raiders probably are not a bottom three roster, but uh, Texans, Lions, Jets, do you have any objections there that you would reply in a tweet? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think just Jalen Hurts could be a top five quarterback this season. So I don't, I don't know how you put 
Uh, and I, I guess I'm saying from like a fantasy perspective, but he he's going to be a very effective quarterback. So I have a hard time putting anyone with a top 10 quarterback in the league that low down. And then the thing about Derek Carr is obviously he's not a quarterback he can win a Super Bowl with, but he's also not a quarterback that makes a ton of mistakes. He doesn't turn the ball over a ton. He's like a very effic- effective guy. So he's going to put you in that middle territory, but I don't think he's a guy that is going to implode like a Jared Goff or, you know, whoever ends up playing for the Texans. Like those quarterbacks could be like a true net negative where Derek Carr is going to be just like a neutral presence on the offense. Yeah, I agree. Having a quarterback that's not going to kill you, to me, that's one thing you look at. And maybe that doesn't sort of speak to the whole roster. And I'm sure with PFF, that's probably what they're looking at a little more. It was just one of their writers. I don't think it was anything database that they were looking at. So it could be, you know, a bit of a gut feel combined with some of their data. But um, yeah, I agree. Like if you have a competent QB, I'm just not going to give you a bottom three roster in any situation because that's what the league is. It's just having a guy who can get the ball downfield, cannot kill you with turnovers and all of that. And Carr is certainly proven, even if he's not a Super Bowl winning guy, he's a guy that's not going to kill you every game. But the Eagles, I'm with you like I think they're actually in good position to win the East this year like I know that's not going to be the Vegas odds that's going towards the Cowboys more and you know the football team I think we're also going to have some feelings for with Ryan Fitzpatrick and QB but like they have Jalen Hurts they have Devonta Smith they have Rager hopefully getting better they have Miles Sanders they actually to me seem like a team that offensively maybe the defense uh, I think didn't look that great uh, last year but offensively like they should to me have a shot to be a top 10 offense Yeah, I'm excited about that division because it was like last year, it was like someone just has to win it. And Washington was like, I guess it'll be us Uh, in this year. Washington's revamped. uh, We get Hertz in year two, a full year. They draft Devonta Smith, uh, a lot of excitement there. And then the Cowboys, of course, getting Dak back. I guess the Giants are the one team but even they like get Kenny Galladay and free agency. So that division is going to be a lot more competitive this year, but it's also very susceptible to injuries. Like again, if, if Dak gets hurt again or something like that, I mean, then the Eagles immediately are, are right back there in the, in the front runner conversation. So this might be a hot take, but I think the NFC East has a shot to be the shootout division where like they have all the games because you look at the teams like I guess the football team defense is good enough and even their week one totals I started to do uh, trying to figure out NFL projections for myself while I'm taking some time off to children in the summer because thankfully been winning enough in NBA where I could have that luxury while I figure out what I want to do with my life heading forward for football season. And I, I think their totals are low to start the year, but the football team still like if you get to that defense, I think, you know, you can see the offense certainly put up a lot of big totals. Cowboys with Dak back and another year for uh, C.D. Lamb and the offense overall to sort of come together. I think that's another really strong spot. The Giants, like you mentioned, adding Galladay and hopefully getting Saquon back at a good capacity for himself. Daniel Jones hopefully improving. Like that team to me, it wouldn't be shocking to see, I guess, besides pace of play and maybe the defense is being slightly improved. Like there should be 50 totals in every single game between the NFC East teams, I feel like, every week. Yeah, I mean, and I actually hope so for the schedule. I believe it's the Washington schedule where they play Dallas week 14, then Philly week 15, Dallas week 16, and then Philly week 17. (laughs) Just like all their divisional games like mashed up right there at the end of the schedule. Yeah, I guess they knew that that would only ultimately matter what happens between those teams in case they were all bad again. But you know, weird NFL scheduling for the NFC East. But I think fantasy wise, I, one of the divisions I would say to watch overall and probably one to watch relative to their, how they're being valued right now, besides the Cowboys, who are, I guess that's one thing we can talk about fast. They are the hard knocks team, Pete. And I feel like that's kind of a natural fit. Dak being back, them trying to get back on the radar. And I'm sure they think they have a championship chance this year, even though I don't know how believable that is. But I feel like a pretty solid hard knocks team. And I, you know, the most famous team in football, you can never really argue being the team for hard knocks yes wait sorry did they confirm that yeah that was today 
Okay. All right. I missed that. Yeah. That's, uh, that's cool. That'll be, that'll be very fun. Oh, now that you say it, I did see someone have a tweet referencing, uh, that we better get some Amari Cooper chess content, uh, <laughs> which that would be incredible. Is that, is that a thing he's known for? Are you going to get him on a stream? I feel like it's in range now that you're in the NFL community. He, he did. Um, yeah, there was a video, one of his defensive teammates i'm blanking on the name because i never know defensive players but uh they played he challenged amari to chess and then like uh amari like wiped the floor with him so now everyone's hoping we get to see some more teammate chess battles so off the field a chess player on the field amari more of a checkers guy based on the results we've seen <laughs> over enough time now shout out to the chat by the way our guys willis is awesome in the chat of course our accountant here on splash play phil b my old pal emac who of course still doing a lot of the osmo content on the weekends uh, make sure to check him out ivan black just wanted to give shout outs to all the people in there who are spending time with us on this holiday weekend and even if you are listening on podcasts as well perhaps driving like pete did uh we appreciate that support a bunch and if you are listening to us on apple Podcasts, throw us five stars and review we got to ramp that game up here heading into the nfl season so show a little love give us five stars and a review on apple Podcasts, pete i feel like without further further ado i think we can get to playmakers unless there's anything else you want to hit on in your world or you know any real life complaints i feel like maybe that's something we could hit on if we wanted to um yeah no i uh i think now that i got that grilling you know take off my chest <laughs> uh I'm, I'm feeling good to talk about playmakers which uh what what embodies america and what um, our forefathers fought for more than our right to rewatch ESPN's playmakers. Yeah, you get the red of the the blood from Coach's prostate, the white <laughs> of uh, Old Chick facing down his own mortality, and the blue of uh, the victims that Leon has left in his wake over the course of years. So it fits America well. It's time for Playmakers episode eight, episode eight, Down in Distance. And again, check out all the previous episodes we did on the Splash Play playlist that we have over at the Splash Play YouTube channel. But it starts off, Luther Hawkins, a Mike Vick type, which you have to remember, this is 2003, so this is like a completely different world, and they're blown away by all this stuff. But he's changing the game, 165 yards scramble at a time coach says i prefer not to scheme towards a particular player but hawkins leaves us no choice shocker they lose so much pete but i have to say seeing hawkins out there we get to meet him later in the episode spoiler alert but i like this character being here i feel like he could have been their qb or at least in the mix it qb like he should have been a character on the cougars but luther hawkins to me uh changing the game in a way that the Derek mcconnell's of the world were not ready for yeah, leave it to the playmakers to be like, yeah, the most badass character on the football field in the entire show is going to get like a one-week storyline <laughs> as the opposition for them. I mean, yeah, uh, everyone mentioning the uh, the Michael Vick episode here. And uh, yes, also, obviously, this is way after that. But, uh, you know, running for 100 yards, that's uh, reminded me of some of the Lamar Jackson runs from, uh, from last year as well. Uh, also, like, how bad is this coach like a coach that says the quote, like we're not going to change our defense based on who we're playing. Like that is the one trademark of the bad coaches is like, you don't adjust your personnel uh, and you just try to, you know, s you know, stick a square peg in a round hole because that's how you've always done it. It's like, no, of course you change your offense when you're playing like an insane, you know, talent in the league, but nope, not this guy, which understandably has cancer, maybe his mind is elsewhere, but it's like, maybe let's change our game plan for the best quarterback within this fictional league. Yeah, perhaps the prostate cancer mis uh, metastatized in his brain. And <laughs> that's been what's affecting him so much as a coach. But uh, definitely a, a tough way to look at uh, an approach to football here where you're not scheming for a player who's changing the game. But Steve Lyles, the offensive coordinator who was an asshole and seemingly was fired, but he guess wasn't really fired. He's somehow back. And because he was the offensive coordinator in Phoenix last season for uh, Luther Hawkins' Mike Vick type, he's devising the offensive game plan to stop Hawkins, which uh, Pete, granted, you know, we're, we're just guys doing shows here for football. We don't know 
know every single intricacy of football organizations. But I feel like normally you don't go from being an offensive coordinator to a defensive coordinator without years and years of transitioning and training. Yeah, that was a very quick uh, move. And they've really painted Lyles as like this villain. He is so smarmy every time he's on camera. Like he, I mean, and he knows the coach is sick. He knows he feels threatened by him. He's just being so cute and smarmy and passive aggressive with everything he says throughout the episode. He's, he's probably the most punchable guy this week. And that's saying a lot because normally DH takes that title. That is true. And our old pal Emac actually does make a good point. That coach was a visionary of defense doesn't matter. That is actually very true. We do say defense doesn't matter for fantasy. And I feel like it may not matter overall relative to the output of teams and players and all of that. It probably does matter when your one job is to be a coach and try to stop it. So that's, I think, the one case that the data nerds out there maybe will realize defense does matter. Um, let's talk about the uh, situation here with the dime and nickel packages where the linebackers will be less in play. And again, this is 2003, so very innovative, I guess, to put out a bunch of defensive backs. Olshik thinks he could stop Hawkins, but they won't give him the chance. And then we see DH practicing as a QB, which I feel like even in 2003, probably not something the team would do for their star running back, who's the only source of offense they have in every single game. Yeah, I was dying about that. The other uh, incredible part is just how excited DH is to play that role. Or I think in truthfulness, like if you asked a Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin cook to do that. Like they would be so offended that you were asking them to like spend their practice reps, you know, pretending like you're the uh, opposition. Normally when they do that, it's like a practice squad QB. They're like, you know, random third stringer was pretending to be Lamar Jackson for the Cleveland Browns in practice this week. But DH is like, nah, let me rip off a hundred yard runs. And then he has that quote where he's like, I think I wrote it down. He's like, I've been uh, like punking white boys, goofy white do- white dudes like you since Pop Warner. And he did punk him out. I mean, I have to yeah. say he lived up to the hype. And DH, I, I have to say the one thing, though, that really stands out is this is a week with no Leon. And granted, DH, I guess, didn't have a great fantasy day. But like you would think, too, this week of all the weeks with no Leon with, you know, this this game plan, like you need DH more than ever. So I feel like he'd be focusing more on his running back duties than playing scout team QB. Just, just me, though. Again, I'm not the coach. No, I thought the same thing. I mean, like, what's the one thing we've learned? Like the entire offense is like 90 percent DH touches and then a K occasionally a play action pass to Gerwich over the middle. And it's like, we're going to risk that here now with uh, him getting hurt showboating in practice. Then you truly have nothing. I mean, probably the most likable DH has been in any episode, I guess, because he'd spent three seconds on camera, all of them taunting Olshik. So I guess it's the one thing DH has going for him. Coach then at the doctor next to a guy coughing up blood, and he did thoughtfully offer him a tissue. Coach turns out a stage three prostate cancer. The cancer's gone unchecked. And um, another, I feel like there's one thing of playmakers that it's supposed to be a realistic spin on football. I just feel like this could have been a fun football show. This could have been any given Sunday, which had some of the downer parts, but it's mostly like, oh, remember Lawrence Taylor chopping through that guy's car with a saw? Like, oh, like the guy getting his eyeball ripped out. Like those were dark things, but still fun. I just don't need to see a man facing his mortality, getting his prostate check. No, like the, for the writers, it's like when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Like every single plot point is a chance to shine a spotlight on a, a massive issue in America. Like it's just there is no way that we can just have some kind of conventional plot. It has to be the most salacious soap opera ready thing possible. And also on the soap opera note, I did feel like the music in this episode, like some of it was so absurdly dramatic. Even that opening scene, like you could barely hear the dialogue in the locker room because the music was swelling so loud. And then the scene with the girl 
McConnell's girl, who's we'll talk about, you know, getting the abortion later. Like they played that like a soap opera style. Like they're just fully leaning into it now. Yeah, I guess it is sort of them showing their chops or lack thereof in different categories. But yeah, I, I just, you know, to me, if you're on a football show, if anybody out there is watching this and, and looking for inspiration for their own football show, they're writing, make it fun. I feel like Friday Night Lights also had some downer parts, but it's still the enjoyment of Texas football, all of that. And I think when you make it all about prostate cancer, domestic violence and crack addiction, you're going to lose some of the football fans like Pete and I. Uh, if Leon pleads guilty, it turns out they'll knock the charge down to a misdemeanor. Woolbanks wants Leon to accept the deal. A trial means more bad publicity for all. If Leon does take the plea, then Woolbanks will waive him. And if he does take it, Woolbanks will reinstate him. Leon has three days to respond, but Woolbanks has given it one and a half days. And uh, any thoughts on Leon's engagement here with Woolbanks or the overall storyline, which once again, we will continue to be. I, actually, I guess this could be the end after this episode. One would hope, though. I'm sure it probably won't be somehow. Yeah, it's the same. Like, I found myself relatively engaged with a lot of these plot lines from this episode. Uh, and again, I just continue to give zero shits about Leon in this ongoing saga. Uh, one other note I just wanted to mention for the game plan for this week that was really funny to me was uh, who, who's the guy we've been calling Big Sexy? What's his name? Uh, Big Sexy is just what Big I have. Sexy. Uh, <laughs> so when he, they were all talking about uh, the quarterback that they're facing against, he has a line where he says, My cousin. Uh, is in Seattle. He says, this guy's the real deal. And it's like, we were watching highlights of like, it's just like everyone knows he's the best quarterback, but it's because his cousin plays in Seattle. That's how we know this guy is legit. And there's also been, I think they said there's four games left, including the one that we saw today. So like they're 12 weeks into the season, 13 weeks into the season, including the buys. Like I'm sure the rep is out already. This guy's good. We didn't need to know from the cousin, but I guess it wasn't smoke and mirrors, wasn't visual effects. And, and yeah, it was, this guy is good. Um, DH is destroying Lyle's scheme. It turns out in practice again, but the other offensive coordinator, um, who's really the, the soul, I feel like of the team wants to talk about coach's cancer, suggests that coach gets his health in order and then worry about the work. And again, I don't know this coach's name. I know he's, I guess he's the offensive coordinator since Lyle's was deposed, but, um, a lovely coach. And I feel like he's the one guy who's keeping these guys on point besides Phil the cuck. Yeah, he uh, and yeah, boy, are we going to talk about Phil the Cuck here in a bit? Uh, New levels hey, of like, Phil the Cuck this week. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, the other coach, like he had lines that almost they they showed so much heart and so much empathy. I almost like didn't even believe it. Like him saying, "There's more important things going on than football right now." Like you have cancer, and I like it's even hard for me to envision some of these hardo NFL coaches saying that because I do think there is this machismo kind of you know vein throughout all this stuff that like one they enjoy it just as a distraction like if you're going through that but like i just it's even hard to believe some of these coaches even letting their facade and being vulnerable down in a situation like that. So I thought that was uh, that was heartwarming. It does feel more like a 2021 thing where I, we didn't talk about this as a news item, but I'm sure you guys saw it on social media, the NFL is gay promo. I'm stirred up some bees hives of uh, the people you might expect not liking that, but it does feel like the NFL now, like making more of a push towards being like, Hey, like, you know, we're welcoming people of all communities in we're welcome. Like we're doing that where it, it feels like this coach, like the offensive coordinator or whatever he is, is like a 2021 coach where like he cares about his job. He's passionate. He's also a, a black man who's a, uh, clearly taking a leadership role and acquitting himself well relative to a guy like Steve Lyles who's a acting like a toddler asshole type. And it just feels like this character was put in a time machine to 2003 and every other character is just firmly from the, the maybe even the nineties, honestly, like the edgy mountain Dew nineties. Yeah. It is hard to believe that this coach and McConnell uh, could be in like the same era. They feel like they're about three decades apart. 
yeah, definitely. Uh, and we'll, we'll find out more about both characters here as we go. Uh, DH, again, destroying Lyle's scheme. Coach decides to have Olchik spy Hawkins to at least mitigate the damage like Seattle did, even though we heard that Seattle just got crushed. So um, I think this plot line becomes an important one. I like this storyline a lot. I think Olchik continues to be the best character overall in terms of his likability, even with some of the missteps, including that episode of his dad. But uh, the tale here of Olchik fighting, you know, pushing that boulder uphill, I really enjoyed it, I have to say. Yes. And what I don't want to, we're going to talk about the most insane scene from this episode that kind of foreshadows Olshik's uh, inability to keep up with this QB here. But also even before that scene, it's like, I know that like the, the spy kind of thing is definitely a thing. And I know they they'll use linebackers for that, but those are like, obviously the very athletic, extremely quick linebackers and Olshik more fills that like you know, mid 1990s Bill Romanowski thing where it's like, they're these hard hitters, you know, stuff in the run up the middle coming to help. But like, sorry, Olshik is not keeping up with uh, a quarterback, a Vic S guy that runs a four, four, you know, 40 or whatever. Like there's, he was dead on arrival. And the fact that they even entertained this was crazy. See, that's a question I would have too. Cause I think you can do that, but I know like spying concept at this point, cause I'm trying to remember when that would be a thing you would do in Madden where I remember there was like a year of Madden where actually might've been the Mike Vick Madden year where they then put in the QB spy plays more. So you'd have to pick that going against the, especially going against another human who would know like, Oh, this guy's crazy fast. I could just be cheap and run outside over and over again. Cause I think there was a period where, um, you know, the spy was still new enough. So maybe they just hadn't figured out that you want the athletic guy. You want that, like the steroid linebacker guy who's uh, who can't come or whatever. Like he's got, that's probably the guy you want to spy with. But at this point, it's so new that I guess um, they're almost advanced for being ahead of the curve for the QB spying. But maybe somebody sharper in chat could tell us when QB spy at the mainstream. Uh, the girl who McConnell banged to Cuckfield, the team manager, she's been leaving McConnell calls because she's pregnant. Uh, McConnell, <laughs> this is so McConnell had Phil get his Lexus detailed, which Phil also does because he's a cuck he doesn't remember Didi until phil reminds him says that she was a cold fish in bed mcconnell wants phil to call his lawyer phil is horrified and all these guys around him are dealing with their own paternity issues and what is your first instinct here when you hear the storyline pete where i i felt bad for Didi, though she also seemed kind of awful historically and are they going to get together is she going to somehow not get the abortion keep the baby and end up with phil i feel like that's a thing the show would do well, first of all, let's talk about how the you know when she first shows up out of the blue again, and she teases Cuckboy for a second because she's trying to like <laughs> I think she's trying to make sure that he just doesn't immediately shoot down the conversation or whatever. She's like, I thought we had a connection, and he's getting all excited. Like she came back for me, then she's like, Oh no, I'm gonna have McConnell's baby. Uh, <laughs> so it's just like he fell for it too. He's like, Oh no, she really wants me. It's like, Sorry, Cuckboy, you are still Cuckboy. Yeah, Dee is going to get an abortion. Just wanted McConnell to know. McConnell still wants the lawyer called, says, guess we can all breathe easy. And uh, you know, McConnell has been uh, quite a ne'er-do-well throughout the entire show, but I, you know, and I, I get it. I feel like if you're an athlete, this is probably more inconvenient than anything, but I feel like extra shit heady this, this week for McConnell in a way that was honestly probably more relatable in some of the other scenes with other players. Yeah, he... Uh he like the way he handled that like first i think there's a line where he's like she's pregnant and he's like shit and then he tells her yeah but she's not going to keep it and he goes guess we can breathe easy right fellas and like tried to get virtual high fives in the training room i was like you're a piece of shit 
He's not the does not quit himself that well, though. Probably, I guess, his best quarterbacking game. So maybe there's a correlation between him embracing his inner assholeness and results on the field. Uh, Gerwitz is helping a guy bench. The guy is casually talking about cycling steroids and his max might go down with cycling off because he can't come and he's trying to keep, uh, I guess, his girlfriend happy or impregnate her. I think that part was unclear. Uh, but then Gerwitz can't come with the Haley's Whisper model and then she thinks it's because of his stress, but it is, in fact, uh, because of his, his homosexuality has not confronted yet. Uh, but Gerwitz, ever the resourceful guy, blames steroids as an excuse, but so she's disappointed but not quite as disappointed. And I have to say, um, I, I think, Pete, there's sometimes we have to stand up for men here. I think sometimes guys can be allowed to not come. I think that's something that we don't get. We don't get enough leeway with that in the sitcoms and the media world. So that's the first thing I would say. But second of all, Gerwitz's instincts here to cover up the gay thing with PEDs that he's not doing seems like an odd move, I think, for a guy who uh, tends to be pretty, playing things pretty close to the vest and is a religious guy who we think is like a good dude. Yeah, I don't like necessarily buy that correlation that they're making uh, because you're gay. You wouldn't be able to get it up with a woman like the elect you know, erectile dysfunction stuff, like you said, that could apply to anyone. But no, he had to come up with a ruse for a ruse here uh, to, you know, it's a house of cards, what he has going on here. I, I am glad we got another Chris Kattan sighting in this episode, him showing up at the house very angry once again. Yeah, I guess we could skip ahead to that part and then we're going to jump around because, of course, Playmakers mixes in these plot lines and scenes in a way that make it very difficult to recap it when putting notes together. But the ex-boyfriend guy does show up to Gerwitz's house unsolicited um, after he saw August, the model with him in the newspaper, I guess. Uh, she was making them both late, though. So I feel like, you know, look, he's got a gay boyfriend. She's very bad at being on time for this guy to go to practice. and He has to drop her off beforehand and that's 10 minutes, I think, inconsiderate on her end and then also inconsiderate on his end to have a gay boyfriend and uh, be hiding him from her. But um, um, any thoughts on the gay boyfriend, Chris Catan? You mentioned uh, the the hair, the hair flowing swimmingly with this guy in every single scene. But I hate him, and I feel like he's really dramatic. And I guess you know maybe uh, he's, uh, we are out of Pride Month, so I guess I could say it. But he's being dramatic in a way that, quite frankly, Pete, I don't appreciate. Yeah, I think uh, he. It's a bummer that they wrote his character like so annoying and clingy like that. Like it's because you kind of want their you want to root for them and like you want like th that storyline would have been so much more interesting if he was like very kind and sensitive and patient and like wanted to make it more comfortable and knowing that Gerwich's position as an NFL player is very hard here. And instead they just make it immediately easy to not like this guy because he is legitimately crazy with his behavior. Yeah, I would agree. And I think Gerwitz, I feel bad for Gerwitz. I certainly not in the way that I can relate necessarily to having uh, my gay ex-boyfriend be tra traumatized by me moving on to date a lingerie model. But I think in terms of just the crazy X factor, like this guy just won't go away and is offering drinks to guys at bars. He's asking for problems here. And I think that's the kind of toxic relationship we don't want to see our pal Gerwitz with, no matter what the gender is. Robin doesn't want Leon to take the deal. Leon's is a wise woman. What's told him that Will Banks could shove it up his ass. But the lawyer also wants Leon to take the deal because it looks like it's going to be a media circus lawyer presents Leon with something he did as a juvie that would uh, look bad even if it was inadmissible and then it turns out Leon like beat his dad or stepdad to death or near death for abusing his mom Leon spent six months in juvie the Leon character Pete finds new ways to be dark at every turn yet I guess he's just trying to take care of his family and I don't know if I feel more sympathetic or less but he clearly has had a troubled life yeah it's just in, in it feels like him and this whole situation they're they're like changing their mind how they want to handle it every five minutes you know either taking accountability or just trying to be pragmatic and and get what he wants and it just goes back and forth and we're all just exhausted from this
Yeah, I, I think, Leon, I'm glad that we hopefully have a resolution at the end of this episode, though knowing playmakers, I'm sure we'll find ways to not be out of it. Coach tells Woolbanks about his cancer, and Coach plans to work through whatever treatments, but Woolbanks says his job will be there. I think maybe a, a little bit of a Shakespearean downfall he sent him up for, but um, he wants Lyles to be integrated on both sides of the ball in case things get worse. And I feel like, uh, Pete, Woolbanks, I don't know if we should also be trusting him or not, because he does seem like he lives up to his end of the bargain most times, but clearly has his own machinations for everything, and I just feel like there's something disingenuous about his approach to coaching as his cancer situation. Yeah. I wonder if he is picking up on the fact that he needs a more innovative, less old school football guy coach and that whatever is going on here clearly isn't working. And so maybe he is kind of anxious to, uh, to move on because that we even did have the line here where he had thoughts. Wilbanks did on the defensive scheme for this week. So maybe he is kind of more of a Jerry Jones type that wants to get his hands in the mix and have a say. Yeah, more of a Jerry Jones, even a Mark Cuban, an early harbinger of what was to come with some of the owners getting more involved. But uh, definitely, uh, it seems like he's got some scheming going on in his end. DH is killing Olshik as a spy after Woolbanks expresses his pleasure about Olshik being the spy for the game. Zolchik ends up studying tape of Hawkins, trying to find tendencies and weaknesses. Big Sexy then comes up and says it all comes down to a chase. And uh, and one of the cruelest, most poetic lines of the show says, you can't put in with God left out. And uh, Olshik, I feel like battling his own mediocrity, again, his, this episode's all about his journey. There's going to be some weird save by the bell. I feel like twists with them and the outdoor football pickup game coming up at the strip club. But Olshik, I feel like this, his whole approach here, his journey, this is like the one episode of playmakers where there is a fully formed arc and a logical conclusion. Yeah, it was like, I actually felt like this was very uh, well done relative to what the show does because they, they have now set expectations so low where we truly expect no competence from them. And I, I agree. This was handled nicely. Yeah. And I think Tim too, you know, prep and he's trying to do everything he can. And then we'll have some more scenes, little shit coming up. But uh, just, you know, if you are going to watch an episode, I feel like this one was really one where there was a cohesive story throughout the episode and one that wasn't just cripplingly depressing throughout uh, the linebacker guy who's cycling off steroids. I don't even know this guy kept appearing in scenes and he's mad because he got knocked off the depth chart. And I, I enjoyed Pete. I don't know if you were paying attention to how they did the depth chart where it's yes. on a glass window. He takes him down ceremoniously. And, but it was like a reality show. And I feel like if I had a football league, like if I were doing the XFL again, that would be a feature in my locker rooms every single week. I thought that was so good. It, w- it was almost like it was like a game show and you were revealing the answer on like who wants to be a millionaire or something. And then him going like full roid rage and tossing a bench in the locker room was uh, pretty impressive there for losing his spot on the depth chart. But, you know, he made him work harder, made him cycle back on a steroid. So I guess at the end of the day, uh, he's the real winner from that situation. Um, we do have the uh, ex-boyfriend guy showing up. We covered that. Phil the Cuck decides to handle the abortion situation with great class. Um, says it was all McConnell's support um, that led him to this. And then Phil then tries to talk McConnell into taking Dee Dee to get the abortion, uh, to take her to the appointment. McConnell doesn't want her to get ideas by him showing up. But Phil is trying to get him to be a good person. And McConnell seemingly does yield. And Pete is before the reveal that McConnell is not going to show up, but I thought for a moment McConnell might be a good guy and might do the thing just because Phil, you know, is clearly selling him as best he can. Um, but McConnell, I would say irredeemable, but pretty close to irredeemable at this point. Yeah, there's also the line where he's like had he's so fed up with McConnell that he says, You're being a jerk about this. <laughs> and that's when McConnell is like, No, you're right, you're right. I'll do it. And it's just like Cuckboy gets had again. Like he really did think. He was going to come pick her up for her, her abortion. 
I, it's honestly like Phil is probably the nicest guy on the show. And I feel, I honestly, I'm starting to feel bad about calling him cuck boy, but he is very much a cuck boy at every turn. Um, and it just, it makes me sad, but you're right. Him saying you're a jerk. Like that was really his stand up. Like, I'll oh, look at my spine here in this moment. And uh, boy, that's a sad life role. Phil uh, supportive black coaches with the uh, head coach again, asking why he hasn't told his wife yet. Turns out coach's wife left him nine months ago. And uh, coach, I, I feel like another guy where um, Leon certainly wearing the battle scars of a life in football and coach ignoring his cancer to the point where it's stage three and also getting a divorce because of his dedication to his job and a tough look for football guys. Yeah. I feel like there's a version of this show where, you know, the coach loses his job. DH gets kicked out of the league and there's just like this buddy comedy of those guys like doing crack and playing video games together. <laughs> coach would be so confused by the schemes of the video game. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't even know how to play call. He'd be using the auto play call for himself. Yeah. Just, I oh, want a coward. Leon's back in the gym and wants to get some reps in, which I was confused guy. Cause I would just assume that if he was uh, going to be taking or not taking the deal and getting waived, he probably wouldn't be at the gym. Uh, but then Gerwitz shows him support for turning down the plea deal. Says he admires Leon for standing up what he, or standing for what he believes in. It says like basically the whole team is behind him. So, I'm sure they won't care at the end of the day. I'm sure they'll just be happy to have Leon back. But after they showed such support and we're all proud of him, I guess, for not taking a plea deal, it really does seem like he just goes right back in the face on that and ignores all the positive praise that he got. Yeah, he's he's just a walking contradiction. He has he has no idea what he's doing. He he like truly needs some kind of he needs like an agent or someone, a PR rep to just handle all of this for him because it's been a disaster. Yeah, at the very least, a personal assistant to keep his his lies in order, his various miscreant deeds going on in his life. Uh, big, sexy Olchik McConnell are at the strip club, but team bonding once again. And Olchik can't relax because he has things on his mind. And I have to ask, I feel like this is the first time they've been at a strip club. And I think this is a logical place for them to have been. And I don't know why it took until episode eight for them to get into a strip club. But football players at strip clubs seem like a great place for them all to just bond and get together. Yeah, uh, I can't wait to talk about this scene. Uh, it was so absurd in so many ways but yeah it was nice to find uh, a new club we always talk about the team bonding at a club and now we get both teams bonding at the club but before all the insanity happened there was one piece uh, or a scene or a little thing that happened and i don't know if it was like written if it was written it was brilliant but it was olshik went to take a sip of his water but forgot that the cap was still on <laughs> And it's so hyper specific that like, I'm so glad they left it in because it, it, first of all, they did the flashback, right? Like he's clearly thinking about like the big game coming up and how he's going to stop them where it's like the classic playmakers thing of their showing us or telling us instead of showing us where it's like, you don't need the flashback. We need Olshik taking a sip of his water without taking the cap off. And we know he's so distracted. And I was like, that was actually a brilliant little thing to add in there. And then you just completely undercut it with all the other shit. <laughs> I wonder if that was a deliberate choice or if it was just the actor forgotten. They didn't care enough to do another take or they're like, oh, we love this take besides him not actually drinking the water. But given playmakers, it could go either way and I wouldn't be surprised. But Luther Hawkins is at this strip club and he sends the boys some drinks. Hawkins uh, looks like a man who's going to, or actually, no, he says he likes a man who brings his game face to the strip club. His old chick is just <laughs> really being rude, honestly, after given that he got some free drinks. I have to say Hawkins, like we're going to get to the crazy part. Hawkins to me, came off like a class act here. Seemed like a nice guy. Seemed like he was just happy to be around like, Hey, we're all football players enjoying some cities out at the club. Like, I don't think that Hawkins was a bad guy here. And I think even in the whole situation after, like he really handled this adverse situation where Olchik wanted to fight him with tremendous class. 
Yeah, and again, like, Olshek is such this interesting figure because we have seen him be one of the more thoughtful, sensitive guys. He's like, listen to Leon. He's been more calm and rational in some spots and then just has the, the shortest fuse and will get like extremely violent in situations. He has no place getting violent. Like, can you imagine, like, I, I'm trying to think of like, you know, Von Miller getting into it with, you know, Lamar Jackson at a bar the night before like the absurdity of this of like most of these guys also just like truly respect each other uh and they don't have this like adversarial thing outside of maybe a few like relationships in the league so it's like Olshik, like you're smarter than this what are you doing dude yeah Olshik, a, a hothead in a way that here's actually here's another question i have so big sexy an offensive lineman Olshik, a linebacker mcconnell the qb hanging out like is that's clearly just because we know these characters right like this normally wouldn't be a grouping i feel like that would go to the club together like it does maybe the lineman and a qb but i, I feel like the linebacker being the mix and it being just those three didn't make the most sense no, it's just the only the playmakers have developed so few characters that they don't have the luxury of having a full positional group going to the strip club together. Yeah, I would have bought the steroid linebacker over Olshik being there personally, but Olshik wants to fight with the guy. Hawkins instead buys an autographed Notre Dame football for $2,000 from the strip club manager. And I got to say, Pete, I was happy to see a Notre Dame football being disrespected like this as a USC alum. Yeah, it's uh, it's incredible there. I It was funny one time. Uh, it was like three or four years ago I was in Pittsburgh and I was doing this thing with poker night in America and it was uh, Phil Helmuth was there. And then we were at dinner after and Phil Helmuth wanted to do a bet with Doug Polk. And it was, could he make a three pointer with no warm up, no dribbles, just one shot that night. And so it was like 1am and we couldn't find a basketball. And so Doug Polk went on his Twitter and was just like, does anyone have a basketball? And so some guy from the Pittsburgh suburbs, like drove in and gave us a basketball. And we went to some parking lot and Phil Helm, you shoots this three pointer. But all I'm saying is I'm commiserating with these guys of trying to find a football this late at night actually probably would have been hard And buying a $2,000 autograph football probably was your only actual option. And that thing too, because it, it is early 2000s didn't have Twitter yet. And I feel like at this point, like you could have had Hawkins, Luther Hawkins could put out a tweet and they would have, or exactly. even an Instagram story and somebody would have showed up immediately. So I got to give him credit again, Luther Hawkins, great QB, nice guy buys drinks for his competitors and also very resourceful, but they go outside to play pickup dressed in dress clothes. And also to me, just, I had a landlord who was like this Persian guy who was coming off a divorce and he would always wear like the silk shirts and like chest hair out and cologne and all this stuff. And he had the look of old chick every single time that old chick is in a bar scene. And I just, can't help but think of it but these guys out there playing football big sexy catch the td from mcconnell old chick trying to figure out luther hawkins and uh pete did you enjoy this it was like nfl street but these guys were all in just uh their most gaudy club attire yeah and i was just laughing and this is where it's really revealed how outmatched old chick is because not only do i think he could do it in you know athletic gear but now he's wearing like the tightest floral polo he has like what I assume are like wingtip dress shoes on and he can barely move. It looks like he's going to fall over every time he backpedals on there. And uh, these guys playing in full attire outside of their positions and their skill sets of what they're normally used to doing, like Olshek trying to catch a bomb that then launches into a car and sets off the alarm. I mean, this was so good. It was so unrealistic, but so fun to watch. 
And then I think the one thing that I appreciated was McConnell saying like, oh, this is going to avoid some contracts. Like in reality, that's what these guys be thinking about. Like if you, it's not like they can't even play pickup basketball. They're not playing football outside a strip club. Like you mentioned in dress shoes on wet concrete where they're going to slip around. Like they were begging for an ACL tear. And I feel like all these players should be stoked that they didn't do that amidst their, their moment of masculine bravado going on. Yeah, it was just an awful idea. I, I, I assume like if, a team actually did this like the organization, the amount of fines that they would levy would be insane. Like, these um, guys and that, can't even like skateboard or go snowboarding <laughs> anymore because coaches are so worried about them getting hurt. Yeah, no, you definitely are not allowed to play football outside the strip club, but going against the team, you're going to play that week. And I think there's no coach in the world who would support that no matter what his health issues are. Um, uh, Olshik figures out a tell from Hawkins when he's going to pass, when he's going to run, it ends up being a key plot point, but it's interesting because it's not a key plot point until the last play of the game in the actual game they show at the end. But I did enjoy, like, I felt like again, logical storytelling the way they got to this point, not the most logical, but I feel like Pete, I enjoyed him having a tell. Like it was like rounders. He splashed in the pot like he's eating his oreos whatever like i just a nice to play playmaker storytelling moment in a show where again we're, we're lacking for them so heavily yeah uh that was uh you know clearly to have the reason of them playing out in the parking lot we need to set up how this is going to pay off in the game and uh the tell is the is the perfect thing and you know as we know chris every quarterback has a tell and if <laughs> you can right. figure out that tell on them you can defeat them it's like the old punch out games where like some of the like the boxers would be like oh like they'll wink at you before they throw their punch then you would know to get away every single quarterback in football uh has one of those moves like old glass joe <laughs> in the punch out video games um we got leon telling olshik about his uh juvie situation another time in houston as well where he be beat a guy up but olshik points out the guy dropped an n-bomb on him so the situations for leon where these situations might be just a viable but definitely paint him as a bat in a bad light leon doesn't want to pre be perceived as the next mike tyson and you know i guess you know if we're going to compliment storytelling leon i think would accept the plea just to play football based on everything that we know about him i think like when you spell the situations out like it does feel like it's tough on him you kind of feel sympathetic that he's been in these situations with an abusive stepdad and then or dad whatever it was and then also a guy being verbally aggressive with him like I think Leon deserves to be able to punch these guys or should be allowed to and um, and shouldn't be you know, paying the price. But he clearly would have gotten railroaded if it did go to court. Yeah, uh, I think he definitely would have. Uh, I, I just need I Leon going to court and getting thrown off the show. I need something to just end him on the show. He brings nothing to the table for this team. You know, he gets like three touches a game when he does play. <laughs> Because DH is a 40 carry a game workhorse. And um, every one of his plot lines is just absolutely miserable. There's no joy. There's no enjoyment of anything involving Leon. Also, Pete, I feel like I have to give you a chance to dispel this, but Phil B in the chat saying Pete has never heard of Punch Out. Did you know what I was talking about when I was talking about the Punch Out tells? Uh, no. So, so it was a game made famous that it was uh, like Mike Tyson's punch out and you would go through all these like virtual characters, like the original Nintendo game. And there've been updated versions of it since, but yeah, basically like you, you would be this little boxer called little Mac going against another boxer. And it'd be like, you're punching up at him. And then the guy would always like, there would be something where the guy would throw like a hurricane punch before he was going to punch you. And like, that's how you know to time it out and to avoid it. So that's, you actually made a really good punch out reference without knowing it. Yeah. I actually have played that once a long time ago. Someone had one of those like 
bootleg new Nintendo systems with all the old games on it. And I did play that one. So it's all coming back now. Yeah, it was just in the back of your memory and you stored it as something you could break <laughs> out without not actually knowing what it was. Uh, but shout out Phil B for picking that up. Your your audience, Pete, knows you better than <laughs> in ways that might I be I played it, guys. Relax, okay? Some of us were outside as a youth, you know, really oh, experiencing wow. life, not just inside playing video games all day. Some of us were outside playing football in dress clothes while, <laughs> yeah. guys, while us Phil the Cuck boys were at home playing punch out. Uh, let's see. Coach tells the team that actually, I'm, yeah, I think we get to this part. Coach tells the team that um, he does have prostate cancer. First chemo tonight after the game. Not something he wants to go through after the game, uh, especially if he loses. It motivates the team. They're into it. And we also learned at this point that uh, four games left to run the table and make the playoffs. This season makes no sense, Pete. I feel like we heard them being on the cusp of the playoffs a month ago go and now i are we even to get to the playoffs or they are they not going to make the playoffs because we only have i think four more episodes left so you got to assume with how the show goes that's going to be the whole regular season they i mean this team is maybe one one of the least believable playoff teams of all time like they have uh no pass catchers of note sorry gerwich they have uh basically one running back their quarterback is like a jared goff-esque guy like there's just no chance that this team would actually make the playoffs in any scenario um so yeah i think they're just continuing to string us along but there's no drama i guess if this, they're like a rebuilding team so they just have to keep letting us know that no they are on the cusp of making the playoffs yeah they are i would just make them a 500 team be like oh we lost yeah. last week we got to win this one but no it's just they just don't explain it also i inadvertently because i have just always too many fucking notes for these shows inadvertently skipped off the conclusion of the uh mcconnell storyline where mcconnell of course does not show up to pick up dd for the abortion appointment but phil does dd says they both know that mcconnell's never going to show up but she does agree to get driven by phil and we don't know how this one goes i guess we'll find out next episode but um dd just a disappointing scenario and phil the cuck boy i think actually having to take um his uh his quarterbacks lover to an abortion appointment i feel like is the most literal definition of a cuck boy we could have ever have had for anybody yeah tom here what an incredible uh, string of words cuck boy in the abortion chauffeur <laughs> friend zone just one of the all-time classic friend zones <laughs> that, is, that is quite the situation and phil a great guy i feel bad calling him cuck boy because these are like really decent human things that i might not even have in my heart to do but boy he is the biggest cuck boy <laughs> The cuck boy that cuck. is the ultimate thing like the girl you like that was hoping you were into it and you are taking her to an abortion for a baby that mcconnell impregnated her with yeah so that is uh hopefully that works out well for these two star-crossed lovers anyway we're back to the game Olchik is left in the locker room with coach Olchik asks how he does it and then coach says that guys like him and, and Olchik, all they could do is keep showing up and Another nice moment again in a show that we could point at all the shitty things over and over again. And there's a lot of things they'll give you that are easily teed up. But like a nice moment here between characters that I feel like uh, I'm growing to appreciate more and more. Yeah, it was. And, um, you know, the, the team uh, gets very motivated to rally around them. It seems like he's having to pull out all the stops to get this team motivated every at the end of every episode we're getting and uh i don't know how you can top hey guys i have cancer as a motivational rallying cry but they uh they get up for it 
So somebody had said that I think it was Tom or, or maybe I've been talking about how like um, he mentioned that in the pregame speech. I feel like if you are a coach and knowing what we know, football coaches and you do have prostate cancer, and you're literally getting chemo after the game. Like you have to comment on that. Like that has to be your speech. And I think it's like something that he told us that I did. I minored in theater at USC. You know, something they would say about auditions where you have to go into an audition acknowledging the reality of the situation. So if like if you're uncomfortable or if you trip over a wire, don't just ignore it. Be like, oh, like make some self-effacing joke. I feel like, you know, for a coach, like he has to live in the situation and and if it gets him one win that saves his job or gets him to the playoffs like that's exactly what any coach would do yeah I, i'm sure if um someone was kind of dealing with with cancer and you just kind of told them some of your notes from uh theater school at usc <laughs> that that'd be very comforting to them coach is an actor he gets it <laughs> You'd understand. Hey, we're into the game. Hawkins. So this might be the most extended football we've seen in the entire show, which I, I was enjoying very much. Hawkins immediately kills Olchik with a long scramble, then hits him with a bomb pass. It is a 30-34 game after that touchdown. So I guess maybe with the extra point, it might have been 30-35. Hawkins then winks at Olchik before a play, but Olchik remembers the three pats of the ball, I guess forgetting it all game until this moment, but see, is down on his knees, sees the three pats from Hawkins before a pass, forces the fumble, and end up winning the game though i think old doesn't recover the fumble but amazing play by old chick the everything the story actually pays off all these weird turns pay off and hawkins is the one though i'm leaving that game i would buy hawkins stock i would have watched the hawkins spin off every single episode yeah i i mean i want that show i'm completely done with the cougars here <laughs> give us the hawkins show and uh it's incredible that old was so incompetent uh for this entire job but going to the strip club and playing in a pickup football game out on the concrete gave him the one piece of information he needed to win the game was he he was watching game tape like was he not just looking exactly. like oh, I mean, was he, he was just watching him do the plays and he's like oh cool that was like a really nice play good job by hawkins yeah it's not the um when you have the game tape the all 22 film the slow-mo the reverse stuff no it's when you are outside in the middle of the night uh at the club where you're able to pick up on this tell and then we do see the game balls after the show. McConnell apparently completed some short passes and got a game ball for it. So I feel like that was that was just the coach being like, wow, McConnell, you actually did something. And um, it wasn't a DH day, apparently. So uh, McConnell, a rare victory for McConnell as a fantasy QB and an actual player in the league. Yeah, it looks like maybe McConnell has upgraded from a Blake Bortles to a Derek Carr, and he does just enough to not sink the team anymore on his own. Yeah, McConnell's getting a game ball for throwing the screens and, and five-yard outs, and uh, Tom in the chat saying Hawkins on the next Madden cover. Yeah, Hawkins would be, you would play that team every single moment. He would he was the Mike Vick. I am very impressed by what he did. Um, Olchik gets the other game ball. He just keeps showing up. A nice moment here between Coach and Olchik once again. And then we also find out Leon is taking the plea deal tells Rob it's only because of football not because of his past coming out potentially and again a nice episode nice football episode and we just get shit on one more time with Leon and his fucking plot line on the way out yeah even with everything coming up for the team and Olshek and all of these guys uh, we're still in Leon hell all right, so time for the awards. And as we always do here, so again, guys, hit the like button if you can, whether you're watching on Peach Channel or the Splash Play channel, subscribe to both. Obviously, Pete has a ton going on with all his shows. Splash Play, we're going to ramp up a little more heading into football season. So lots of fun on both. So make sure you're hitting that. But who has the most fantasy upside? Luther Hawkins might have the most fantasy upside of any player who's ever played football. I think that's a clear winner there. Yeah, it's uh, it's so nice to have someone that can even just massively surpass DH and upside. And uh, it's Hawkins for sure. 
most unrealistic moment of the episode. I feel like that guy hacking up blood next to coach is probably the one to me. I, people will say the strip club pickup football game, but I, I'm not willing to get rid of that scene. So I think to me, it's the guy just hacking up blood casually next to coach in the doctor's office. Yeah. And I would say also like just the doping They're They're always uh, going to be nervous of that stuff. Um, the moment that made the NFL the most mad, I would say, would probably be McConnell's casual handling of abortions and paternity suits. I, there's a, a lot of things that'll make the NFL mad in every episode, but that one, I think, uh, probably wouldn't have loved in addition to what you just talked about with the PEDs. Yeah, the PEDs and the abortion stuff, uh, you know, Roger Goodell, not too happy about that. NFL happiest scene? Um, I feel feel like them winning the game for the coach with prostate cancer. The NFL would love that and would market the shit out of that. Yeah. The team kind of rallying around him in the locker room. It's like, I'm surprised. I feel like if we don't get a support our troops episode of playmakers, <laughs> then this is about as close as we can get to something that would make the NFL come in gratitude asshole of the episode so this might be controversial because I, again i like the storyline here but it has to be old chick for making that strip club situation so awkward and luther hawkins was again acting with great class like the star player he is well i mean mcconnell you you can't top mcconnell <laughs> yes, and right. like we get all breathe easy fella she's getting an abortion but yes <laughs> that could be a second place a uh, cool bro moment of the episode. I feel like Phil, the cuck boy's handling of the abortion made him the bro of, of any situation. Even if he is doing it, he's self-serving. He clearly wants to talk about Lansing, Michigan life some more, but yeah, I think he's clearly a cool bro for McConnell, if nothing else. Yeah. He's the cool bro. And, and also buying the $2,000 signed football to play uh, pickup football with is a pretty cool bro moment. <laughs> sure, yeah. Luther Hawkins winning all the categories teammate bonding of the episode of strip club pickup football to, for, to also end up helping you guys win the game. Like that's a little bit of everything. So that's, to me teammate bonding personified yeah also we had some good uh weightlifting scenes i think was it gerwich spotting leon in the locker room that was some good team bonding there gerwich is a spot in a lot of guys here he's definitely he's a, an active part of the team as a community which i appreciate 56 minutes in for your spags near cancellation line of the episode wait what did i do what did i say Oh, I thought you were making like a. Oh, no, no, <laughs> no. I was like, I feel like he's genuinely like he buys DH crack. He's in the locker room supporting. guys. I like Gerwitz. I think I just uh, assume the worst with your jokes. No, I think the, the one last week about him and Cole Beasley, I think was <laughs> that was one of my prouder lines. In fact, <laughs> best actor award. Uh, I mean, I think I think it's got to be coach here. Like coach did a pretty good job with the, the cancer stuff. I feel like he's not been the best, most consistent actor throughout, but um, again, I gave him my acting notes here. So he learned how to handle the team. And I feel like that's to me, just what a great actor is all about. Yeah, I did. I agree. I thought he was much better this episode than in previous. And again, I'll go back to the, my very bizarre scene that I loved, but Olshik taking the sip of water with the cap still on accidentally, I thought was just a fine bit of acting and writing there. Uh, worst actor award. I think the gay ex-boyfriend has to continue to take this award every single time it's up and he's in an episode. Yeah. Also, um, what's her face? Diddy or whatever. What's her name? The uh, the, the model girl. Yeah. Oh no. Dee Dee. Oh, the one, the Dee. McConnell. Yeah, yeah. She was a little bit. Yeah. She wasn't. The best. She had like full on, like this was an old audition tape for <laughs> days of our lives. Like is how her scenes all read. You know, she's going through an abortion. I feel like you got to cut her some slack. <laughs> Might be tough to respond. Scene that wouldn't be on TV today. Uh, I don't, what jumps to mind here? I feel like there wasn't really anything. I feel like these were all reasonable dramas you've had in the show today as well. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I, I don't, I think anything would have made it past censors today. 
And the playmaker of the episode, I, I would say, I mean, Luther Hawkins is the obvious winner, but I'll give it to Old Chick because I admire his heart, happy to see him succeed. And I just like having a coherent plot line that paid off on the football field, which shows like Friday Night Lights used to do all the time. And playmakers, for whatever reason, as a football show, decided this wasn't their M.O. Yeah, we can give an honorable mention to DH in uh, practice as the, uh, you know, the fake QB. I mean, he, he was putting up monster stat lines during that practice. That's true. DH was killing it, and he is the king of a goofy white guy since Pop Warner. All right, Pete, what are the plugs here? Are you doing any shows while you're you're out on vacation, given the the rain and the weather's lack of cooperation with what you're trying to do? Um, I think I am going to I'll I'll do uh best ball mania draft on Monday, but yeah, otherwise taking it easy this weekend. All right, so make sure to follow at Peter Overs at follow at Chris Spags as well. I'll be doing some stuff. Maybe I'll even do a YouTube channel too. I don't know. I got to figure out my life in the next month and change, but we appreciate you guys for being here. And of course, subscribe to the channels and make sure to follow at Splash Play Pod, uh, Splash, oh boy, Splash Play Pod on social media. Of course, I forget how to talk at the end of the show. We appreciate all of you guys for hanging out. Enjoy your 4th of July's or Canada Day was also this week, I learned. So make sure you're supporting your fellow Canadians as well um, in whatever ventures. And we appreciate you guys for being here. Uh, stay safe. Goodbye.